We are continuing our series on the resurrection and how the resurrection, if it's true, if Jesus, the Son of God, really did die on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose from the dead, was raised up by God from the dead, if that's true, then everyone should be a Christian because the resurrection changes Everything. So in week one, we talked about some of the reasons why Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15 for skeptics. Yes, there were skeptics even in the church in the first century who were skeptical about resurrection. Of course there would be, right? And so Paul writes to them to convince them, to reassure them, to show them why they should believe that, yes, in fact, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. One of those reasons being over 500 people, most most of whom were still alive at that time, had seen Jesus raised from the dead. So we talked about the truth, the fact of the resurrection. And then the week after that, we talked about the resurrection and our faith in God. That when we're going through incredibly dark times, and I know that for many of you this morning, this week, this month, have been incredibly dark times. And how we know because of the resurrection in Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that our faith in God, our trusting Him is not, is never in vain. That when you trust in the Lord, He will raise you up. That's the hope of the resurrection. That's the assurance that we have because of the resurrection that when you trust in the Lord, He will raise you up. And last week we talked about the connection between the resurrection and our forgiveness. That the resurrection means acceptance. You remember that? We talked about how the resurrection means that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on behalf of Jesus' people and how if Jesus was accepted by God, his sacrifice was accepted by God, then if you are in Christ Jesus, then you are accepted by God. And what a great reassurance that is to our hearts. So this morning, I want to switch gears just a little bit. I want to talk about my favorite Christmas movie for just a second, and I know it's not Christmas time, but I love the movie It's a Wonderful Life, and I most of you probably seen that. Holly makes fun of me every year because I want to watch it every year, and she's like, man, a lot. That's like two and a half hours, and you know, but I, I, mean, I love that movie. It's, it's fantastic. One of the things that frustrated people, I read one time, I even read things on It's a Wonderful Life. I like that movie so much. So I read one time that one of the things that frustrated people about that movie, if you haven't seen it, this is spoiler alert, but you need to go watch it. But, uh, so, so one of the things that frustrated people was that at the end of the movie, the bad guy, Mr. Potter, you remember, he ended up with all of the Bailey's money and he was hiding it and he even turned the Bailey's over to the police to have them arrested and he had the money and he was, you know, conniving and evil, and in the end of the movie, George, you know, makes all of his friends and sees what a wonderful life he has, all these things, but nothing ever happens to Mr. Potter. 
He just gets away with it. There's no, there's no uh, judgment. There's no, he doesn't get in trouble. The police don't come knocking on his door. The truth is never found out. And the movie just ends without anything happening to Mr. Potter. He doesn't get what's coming to him. He doesn't get what he deserves. And that really frustrated people because everybody knows at the end of the movie, the good guy's supposed to win and the bad guy is supposed to lose. If the good guy just wins, but the bad guy doesn't lose, and some people leave feeling unfulfilled, like something's missing. Isn't somebody supposed to get what's coming to them? Does that frustrate us when we think about people getting away with something, doing something wrong, something evil, hurting somebody, sinning in some way, but yet they, they don't get, nobody, it doesn't come to light, and, and the judgment doesn't come to fruition. I, I feel like there's a lot of people that think that when they do something evil or something wrong, and then maybe they take their own life, that they feel like they can avoid judgment, that they can avoid consequences, that they can avoid getting what's coming to them. But when we think about our own life, perhaps it isn't just them out there and somebody else that isn't getting what's coming to them, but it's us who kind of keep things a secret and try to hide things and try to prevent what we're doing and the secrets that we have from coming to light. Are we doing something privately that we hope never becomes public? Are we doing something? Do we have a secret that we hope we can take to the grave that we never have to answer for? And so this morning, I want to talk about what the resurrection has to do with your sins and your secrets. What does the resurrection have to do with people getting what's coming to them? So we have this sense of justice, don't we? Where we say, well, sin, if it's secret and it's hidden, if somebody's doing something wrong secretly, then it should come to light and they should get what's coming to them. But when it's our own sin, when it's our own secret, we feel differently about it, don't we? We try to hide it. We try to prevent it from coming to light. We hope that we can get away with it. And what does the resurrection say about that? So let's look at our text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 29. I've been regretting all week putting that verse up there. I thought, man, I don't know. We should. That's probably one of the most difficult, challenging verses in the Bible. People have been debating what that means, baptism for the dead, uh, for a couple thousand years now. But let's read the text. Verse 29, otherwise... What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Again, Paul's continuing his argument about why we know the resurrection is true. And so one of his arguments is to say, if the resurrection isn't true, then why does this happen? And if the resurrection isn't true, then why do people do this? And if the resurrection isn't true, then why am I doing that? And so here's one of his arguments. He says, if the resurrection isn't true, then why do people, why are people baptized on behalf of the dead? Now, some people think that, that Paul is saying that there's some heretic group, this, this apostate group that is baptizing on behalf of dead people. And, and he says, well, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but why do they do that if there is no resurrection of the dead? Because Paul does say, why do they and them, you know, talk about other people are baptized on behalf of the dead? So that's a possibility. I really like some of the earlier interpretations. Um, John Chrysostom said, he, he was about fourth century theologian. He said this, Sin has 
brought death into the world. And we are baptized in the hope that our dead bodies will be raised again in the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, our baptism is meaningless and our bodies will remain as they are now. And so Christism believed that we are, that baptized for the dead simply means that we are baptized because we know that one day we are going to die and we are baptized in hope of a resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, why would anyone be baptized in hope of a resurrection? Now, I I say all that to say, you know, I mean, we may debate the meaning of this verse for the next thousand years, I don't know, but but one thing's for sure, that much is true about baptism, isn't it? That when we are baptized, we are baptized in hope of being saved, in hope that there is a resurrection, in, in belief and understanding that there is a life after death that we need salvation for, Right? Let's keep reading. Verse 30 and 30, 30 through 32. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, my brothers, but my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beast at Ephesus? Now, we're going to talk about that portion of the text next week. So let's look at the, the last part of verse 32, which says this. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So you see some of the arguments that he's making here? He's saying, if if there is no resurrection, if all of that is just bogus, if it's just a lie, then why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we believe what we believe? Because again, as we've been saying all month, if the resurrection isn't true, then nobody should be a Christian. Christianity is absolutely meaningless and worthless if the resurrection isn't true. But Paul says, but in fact, it is true. Jesus is raised from the dead. And because that's true, all of these things that we're doing and all of these things that we believe absolutely are worthwhile. And he says, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he's alluding to Isaiah chapter 22. And he's essentially saying, and when he says, let's eat and drink, he's not talking about having a meal. He's saying, we're, let's have a party. Let's just enjoy ourselves, right? If there is no resurrection... If there is no life after death, if Jesus isn't coming back to raise the dead, then what's to stop us from just enjoying ourselves in this life? What's to stop us from just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and it's all over and nothing else matters? And a lot of people certainly live that way, don't they? A lot of people just say, well, I just want to be happy. A lot of parents just want their children to be happy, right? I just want you to be happy. I just want you to do what you enjoy. I just want you to have a good life. I just want you to enjoy your life. But do you see what the opposite of that would be? Paul says, because the resurrection is true, then we shouldn't just eat and drink and be merry. We shouldn't just enjoy ourselves and have fun and and be happy in a physical, pleasurable sense. Because the resurrection is true, we deny ourselves certain pleasures. Because the resurrection is true, we know that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not just coming back to save. He's coming back to judge. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says this. It's appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. 
The resurrection means judgment. It means that there's life after death. It means that death doesn't save you from answering for your sins. That you don't avoid consequence and judgment because you die and got away with it. That after death comes a judgment. Jesus says this in John 5, 28 and 29. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's reassuring, isn't it? That no evil dictator, no evil tyrant, no murderer or terrorist or child molester or any horrible person who's ever lived is ever going to get away with it. Every evil that's been done is going to be exposed and they're going to answer for what they've done. They might have thought they got away with it. They might have thought that they escaped judgment. But Jesus says when he comes back, he's going to raise the dead and he's going to raise those who've done evil to a resurrection of judgment. But he also says he's going to raise the righteous to a resurrection of life. And so there's there's two sides to this coin, isn't there? We repent and we don't just eat, drink, and be merry. We don't just enjoy ourselves and do whatever we want to do and do whatever we feel like doing and just have fun and be happy and not worry about anything. We, we, we repent. We, we don't do wrong and evil. We don't lie and we don't steal and we don't cheat and we don't get drunk and we don't use drugs and we, we're not sexually immoral and we don't do those things. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, because... The wicked who don't repent will face a resurrection of judgment and destruction and punishment and, dare we say, torment. And those who do right will be resurrected to life. And so Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to describe that life, to describe the resurrection to life. And he says, He says, when Jesus comes back, you're going to get a brand new body. And it's going to be immortal. It's never going to die. It's going to be incorruptible. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. What's sown in dishonor will be raised in honor. What's sown perishable will be raised imperishable. And so you're going to be resurrected with a brand new body. And it's going to be wonderful, not for a minute or for an hour or a day or a month or a year, but forever. And so as Christians, we say, that's okay. I, I know sin is temporarily pleasurable, right? It is. Hebrews chapter 11, sin is temporarily pleasurable, We could just enjoy ourselves for the short time we live our lives and just do whatever we feel like. Or we could say, no thanks. I got something better coming. And so I'm not just going to eat and drink and be merry. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do while I live my life in this body because I believe that the resurrection means Jesus is coming back to resurrect all the dead and everybody's going to answer Those who are in Christ are going to get new bodies, imperishable bodies, incorruptible bodies, powerful bodies, glorious bodies. are going to live forever with Jesus. And those who are not in Christ Jesus 
be resurrected to judgment. Now, I know we don't like to talk about this anymore. You say, well, Wes, that's, that's old. Pre- you can't preach about heaven and hell. You can't preach about judgment and condemnation. Why? It's right here, isn't it? Because Paul is saying, listen, it's no longer a matter of if. It's no longer the Jews debated, is there going to be a resurrection? The Pharisees said, yes, there's a resurrection. The Sadducees said, no, there's no resurrection. Once life is over, it's over, that's it, no more. But now there's no question anymore, is there? There's no question whether or not the dead will be raised. There's no question about whether or not there will be a judgment. There's no question about whether or not there'll be reward and punishment. How do we know? It's already started. That's the message of 1 Corinthians 15, isn't it? It's already begun. It began, it began with Jesus, and He is the first fruits of it to prove that He's coming back, and there will be a day of judgment. And when Jesus comes back, He's going to call forth, and the dead are going to rise, and those who are in Christ, a resurrection of life, immortal, incorruptible, powerful, glorious, heavenly bodies, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the next letter, verses 9 and 10, he says, we make it our aim to please Him, to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's all going to come to light. It's all going to be exposed. So on the one hand, we, we rejoice, don't we? We rejoice that, that all the evil will be judged and punished. And the person who did wrong to you and hurt you and they seem to have gotten away with it, they didn't get away with anything. Jesus is going to take care of it all. All the wickedness and all the evil and all the murder and all of the pillaging and all of the horrible things that all the atrocities that have been committed since the beginning of time, Jesus is going to take care of it all. And we don't have to worry because our Lord is coming back and He will judge it and He will make things right. But it also is something that ought to be sobering for all of us. That if you have a secret in your life that you're hoping you can just hold on to, a practice in your life that you think nobody knows about, and as long as nobody knows about it, and I don't get caught. Or maybe you think, you know, I need some help with this, but I'm afraid if I asked for help, if I told somebody what was going on, if I brought it to light, it would destroy everything in my life. Trust me, the alternative is much, much worse. We have to talk about this. I'd rather just talk about forgiveness and God's love, and I'd rather just talk about why the resurrection means that, that we can be assured of our, our forgiveness, and we can be assured that trusting in God means that He'll raise us up, but it also means judgment. It also means Jesus is king. It means Jesus is judge. And He's coming back. And all of the dead will be raised And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. So Paul says, if the resurrection isn't true, then just eat, drink, and be merry. Just do whatever you feel like doing. 
Sleep with whoever you feel like sleeping with. Eat whatever you feel like eating. Drink whatever you feel like drinking. Just do whatever you want to do. But he says, I'm here to tell you that it is true. That I've seen the resurrected Lord. The debate is over. There's no more what if and maybe and perhaps. It is as sure as anything is sure that Jesus will return and that the dead will be raised and that judgment will be carried out. So he says, verse 33, do not be deceived. Now, now I love this verse. I used to use this verse all the time when I was a youth minister. Bad company corrupts good morals. And, you know, so I, I, you know, hey, better watch who you're hanging out with. And that's true. But look what he's saying. Do not be deceived. How, How were they being deceived? Well, they were being deceived specifically here about the resurrection, right? They're being told, oh, there's no resurrection. Don't, don't, don't believe in that. That's superstitious nonsense. There's no resurrection. And Paul said, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by those deceivers. Don't be deceived by those false teachers. Don't be deceived by those people who are leading you astray, who are trying to distract you from the truth, because the truth is there is a resurrection. Don't be deceived. Bad company, and in this case, the bad company are the deceivers, the people that are telling you there's no resurrection. That bad company... Bad company specifically that's preaching bad doctrine, that isn't preaching the doctrine of Jesus, this bad company corrupts good morals. You see, here's a big word, eschatology. It, It means the study of what comes last. What's the end of things? Your eschatology affects your morality. Your eschatology, what you believe about the future, what you believe about the end of things, what you believe about judgment, what you believe about resurrection, what you believe about heaven and hell, it affects your morality. See, part of the reason that the Corinthian church had all of the moral issues that they had, they had plenty of moral issues, read through chapter 5, chapter 6, they had all kinds of issues. Part of the reason was because somebody was leading them astray as it pertained to their understanding of last things, their eschatology. Bad company corrupts good morals. And there's people in our life that may not be saying to us specifically word for word, there's no resurrection, don't worry about judgment, but that's essentially what our culture is doing to us, isn't it? We're being entertained to death, aren't we? We're being entertained to death. We're being distracted. And so all we're, we're focused on is, is who's winning this series and who's going to do this and who got kicked off the island and, and who's winning at dancing with who. And, and so we're, we're all focused on all of these things, not giving any thought to the fact Not the possibility, but the fact that Jesus is coming back. And I'm going to die. My body's going to be buried. And after my death comes a resurrection and a judgment. And I could spend my life being distracted by bad company and having my morality affected by the fact that I'm being distracted from the end. And what comes last from the judgment, from the resurrection? And so he says this, verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor. Now that all could be translated as sober up. Sober up. Wake up and sober up. Because that's what you're doing. You're just staggering around like, 
like, like it's a big party. You're just, you're just drunk. You're not paying attention. You're asleep. Wake up. Have some spiritual coffee, as it were. Wake up. Pay attention. Sober up, as is right. Don't go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Do, do we believe in the resurrection? We're probably here because we believe in the resurrection, right? We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, if we believe Jesus rose from the dead, then we've got to believe in the implications of that. And the implications of that are, yes, about forgiveness, and yes, about our trust and faith in God, but they're also about judgment. And some of us need to wake up and look who's coming. Wake up and look who's coming. Jesus is coming back. If there's something that we're doing right now that we're hoping won't get exposed, we're just kind of going through the motions, we're just kind of enjoying ourselves, we're just kind of living our life, kind of hoping nobody finds out about this, that, or the other, it's time we wake up and realize that Jesus' resurrection means our resurrection. And if we're in Christ Jesus, that means we're forgiven. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Jesus continues to wash us clean and we have nothing to fear. But if we go on sinning, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, then the only thing we can expect is judgment. Wake up. Look who's coming. For those who are in Christ, oh, a glorious day it'll be. But for those who are not in Christ Jesus, it's a day of judgment and a day of punishment. It's not a possibility. It's a certainty. If there's somebody here this morning, please, I beg you, don't leave here today until you've done what you need to do to make things right with the Lord, to get ready, because He's coming back. There's a room in the back after services. Our elders would love to visit with you or pray with you. You can come forward. You can have your sins washed away by responding to the gospel invitation to be pardoned of everything you've done, to be washed clean, to be resurrected to a new life so that you're ready and clothed in Jesus when He comes back because He is coming back. And if you're not ready, I beg you to get ready as together we stand and sing.